Good morning again, Bill Buck. It's just lovely to see. Uh, I just want to thank uh, Brother Rowan uh, for his uh, sharing his burdens with us. <laughs> now he's been able to now accommodate the full hour sermon. I just wanted to just to think carefully though about the people who have been here for the last 16 years who have been with us from the beginning. Because I think my original sermons were even longer. <laughs> it's been cut down now. So yeah, I was having a chat at the back with um, with Wilbur and he reminded me about something. He goes, you know when, when someone does, in the army, if someone does something wrong, they punish the whole lot. And I remember he reminded me about the, a debate that Trump was having in the last 2016 election when they said, they were complaining about the wall being 30 foot high or something like that. And they said, oh, it's not right. It's, it's, it's going to be a nice or He goes, the wall just got 10 feet higher. <laughs> so the sermon's going to be 10 minutes longer. <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's um, open up our Bibles to Matthew chapter seven. All right, I won't do it wrong. <laughs> Matthew chapter seven, verses one to six. This morning we focused on. Matthew chapter seven, verse one says, "Judge not, that you be not judged." For with what judgment you judge, you shall be judged. And with what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you again. Why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet, and turn again and rend you. Let's um, go to the Lord in prayer, commit this time to him. Father, we thank you once again for your precious word. We just thank you that we have the freedom and the ability to be able to uh, enjoy it in our lives and to feed from it and grow through it. So we just pray for your blessing upon us now. As I seek to be a blessing to my brethren here with your words, and I just pray, Lord, that uh, our hearts would be focused upon you, that your spirit would be our teacher, and that we would be blessed in a way that would honour you and that would glorify you further in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The um, last uh, series we had was that of Joseph. That went for about 17 weeks in a row. And I, I think I've shared with you already, like I go through God's gives me something to, to say and then he'll, he'll, he'll sort of make a sermon, a sermon will come out of that or a series may come out of that if uh, I focus on a particular book or a passage or whatever. And so last couple of sermons, I think I've been single ones. Um, but as circumstances um, uh, come and go and, and conversations that I have, the Lord um, sort of put on my heart a small series, not a long one, uh, about this thing uh, called righteous judgment. And I pray that you don't judge me. <laughs> um, I feel for Sister Celeste um, because every week she calls because I need to practice the songs that go with the actual sermon. And she asks during the week, what's the sermon going to be about? And so you know, Wednesday comes along and I don't know. Thursday comes along, I don't know. And then someone's not until like, the right the weekend until uh, I'm able to actually give her a, a thing because sometimes... Some, I've got a lot of things floating around in my mind and they only sort of, you know, come together towards the end. Uh, and this is one of those things which sort of accumulated during the week. Uh, but now it's when all the verses were, were popping into my mind, when I put them down on paper, I realised there's more than one sermon in this. And because my limit is one hour, I don't... <laughs> 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 I'm going to look this one for a while, Rowan, don't worry Okay, so we're talking about judgment. We're talking about judgment. Um, the word judgment conjures up a lot of negative feelings. You know, when you say the word judgment, people sometimes look and they begin to cringe a little bit, and it conjures up a lot of different feelings for people. And some, for some people, it produces fear. You know, that 
they may be judged one day by God and they know they're going to be judged and because they know they have sin in their life and, and but they don't know the outcome of what that judgment is going to be that judgment brings along with it a lot of fear um, for others it causes feelings of anguish because maybe during their life they were judged harshly by other people maybe for what they did they, they were judged so harshly either by their parents or by their peers that 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 judgment actually in those times bring up really hard feelings for them. They remember times when maybe they were ridiculed or belittled because of what they did or maybe something they said that was wrong and, and they were, um, you know, they felt bad about it. I mean, some of the challenges we have these days with teenagers is if they, they're afraid to say something wrong because they can be judged by their peers quite harshly. Um, so... For them, the word judgment or judging brings along with it pain. Still for others, um, when you speak about the word judgment, it also it brings along with it the, the fear of judging or being overcritical uh, of other people. And they, they think and they cringe because some people they've seen in their lives are so critical of other people and so judgmental uh, that, they, um, that they, they fear to judge anything at all. And they say, oh, no, no, I can't judge about that, or I can't may have an opinion about that. And so they leave, they leave the whole thing uh, go. Um, the frustration you see sometimes, there are certain videos that they show on YouTube about certain women in particular that get very angry with other people, and they, they video these things, and, and, it's, and the whole thing is it shows them being overly judgmental about other people and unfortunately they've been given a name their name is Karen for those of you who know it <laughs> as being the epitome of someone who was over judgmental or over critical of other people and my apologies to anyone who's named Karen because that, that means that they're going to be judged now simply because they've got the same name you know when they created social media the idea was um, it was going to be able to help people connect more easily with each other, especially people that are overseas and friends and family and that sort of stuff there. And the idea was that um, people were going to be, because this communication, the information that we had was going to flow around so evenly to everyone that the world was going to be a much better place because people would understand each other more because I can hear your side of the story, you're going to hear my side of the story, you're going to, to sympathise with me and I'm going to sympathise with you and the whole world was going to eventually you know, be arm in arm singing Kumbaya together. Well, it hasn't exactly worked out that way, has it? Because social media has actually brought out the worst aspects of people in many cases. And what they've done is that people become so entrenched in their position, they, they only get feeds from things that they agree with. And so those feeds end up making becoming more and more entrenched and they don't hear about other people's opinions. And so you have what are called bubbles. Okay, bubbles all over the place where people are happy living in those bubbles, but if they get any information from another bubble, that doesn't agree with their bubble, all of a sudden they get angry and they get frustrated. And some people become very anxious. There are some people who are still locked up in their homes, okay, because they fear to go out. People are in general in our, in our uh, country and around the world more anxious than they've ever been, more fearful than they've ever been, and unfortunately more judgmental than, than any time in the history of this world because there is a huge amount of information flowing around and much of it has been manipulated to look a certain way. They can manipulate, for those of you who've done maths and understand statistics, you can manipulate statistics to say almost anything you like based on whatever premise you want to start off with. And this is the, the unfortunate what, what's going on in the world today. There's a lot of information going around, but a lot of it's being filtered in a particular way to make the other side look bad. And so you have this anxious anger that keeps on growing in the world because the other side's obviously wrong. Why can't they see it? We have all the information on our side, and so they look like fools. And the other, other one group keeps calling the other side fools and sheep and whatever else you want to call them, and then the other side say the same thing about them, which is a sad thing when you think about it really. The Bible does condemn certain types of judgment. Okay, and I say certain types of judgment. It condemns hypocritical judgment. 
okay, which is what we'll look at today. It condemns harsh judgment, if you're overly harsh on other people. It condemns self-serving or self-exalting judgment. In other words, when you judge someone else, you put yourself above them. So it condemns that type of judgment. It condemns subjective judgment. In other words, my opinion is better than your opinion. The Bible also condemns ignorant judgment, quick judgment. It also condemns rash judgment and so on. And so this series is probably, if I had to give an estimate, probably around three sermons. But the idea is we get to a point where we understand what righteous judgment actually is. And we're able to separate righteous judgment from um, unrighteous judgment or fleshly judgment. So let's have a look at this for, for a moment. While most of us here, and I'd say every one of us here, would automatically accept that the judgment of God is always correct. Would that be true? Yeah. Okay. When it comes to other people judging us, that's another story. It's hard, isn't it? When you get judged by someone else, all of a sudden your back gets up. It's a, it's a challenge, and it's a challenge for every one of us. You don't, no one likes to be judged by someone else. And as soon as someone passes some sort of judgment, you automatically um, become anxious about that thing. Judgment is and has become a very negative term in our days. People are, are find it difficult um, when they are judged by other people, unless you're the one doing the judging. Okay? Have you ever heard the phrase, you've got no right to judge me? Yeah. We've all heard the same phrase. We probably use it ourselves. In certain places and so this is a common thing in our in our culture but it's always been this way anyway it's not something that's just new to us it's something that's actually just come out more in our uh, in our day because of the amount of information that we have because of the very fallen nature of mankind we're always willing to judge others rather than be judged it's a trait that has caused ruin and wreck throughout all of history and rebellion against God from mankind. Because part of, the, part of the problem with mankind is that it doesn't want to be judged by God. It says, you have no right to judge me. I am free. I am independent of you. Therefore, I do not accept your sovereignty over me. A lot of talks about kings and queens over the last few weeks. Well, there is one king over the entire world, and most of the world will not accept his judgment. Most of the world is in rebellion against him. But alternatively, the desire within us to judge is very strong. We like to judge, which means, and that, I think that comes from the, the garden, the fall in the actual garden, where the devil actually promised uh, Adam and Eve, you'll be like gods. Well, if if God, if one of the attributes of God is that He can judge other people because He is the ultimate judge, then mankind has, has taken a pretty good leaf out of that book. The desire to judge is so strong within us and so strong within mankind that those who are not saved, who have not recognised the sovereignty of God over them and the, and His right to judge feel themselves often so enabled and so powerful that they judge him. Have you noticed that? When they look at all the evil in the world and the sin in the world, and if they go through any particular suffering themselves, the first one they blame is God. So they judge God as being inadequate. In fact, most people, if you look at atheists, most, most atheists go to the, another level. And they'll say, when they see evil in the world, they say, not only do I, can I judge God, but I will determine that he doesn't even exist. I choose that he doesn't exist at all because of what I see around me. It's foolishness. This comes from a fallen and in a rebellious heart and, and is based upon absolute ignorance. The sermon will follow... Um, a particular course, and we're going to start today with this particular passage, which speaks about not judging, okay? But it's going, we're going to get to the point where we're going to actually understand how to judge 
okay, and had a judge righteously, and I hope it's a blessing to you. I don't think our church particularly has a problem in this area, but I think it's good for always for us to remind ourselves about what is right and what is wrong when it comes to judgment. So the, the, the sermon topic or the, the name of this particular series is going to be called Righteous Judgment, okay? Righteous Judgment. So I want to define those two terms just quickly for us, okay? So what's righteousness? Righteousness in human standards is defined as the quality of being morally true or justifiable, okay? Morally true or justifiable. So justification is made according to conformity of behaviour with a regulation. So if a regulation says one thing or a standard says something, it's the conformity to that particular standard. And it has a deeper spiritual meaning though, so righteousness is the quality of being right in the eyes of God, okay? So if a person is declared righteous, that's where it comes from. It comes from God, who's the one who can actually declare someone to be right. Righteousness is therefore based upon God's standard. Okay? He is the one who sets the standard. So he is the one to determine whether a person is right or wrong, whether you are righteous or unrighteous. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 33. Isaiah chapter 33, verse 22. Righteousness is, can only be based upon God's standard because he is the law giver. He is the standard maker. Does that make sense? If, if um, uh, my wife does quality assurance, so Mary does, uh, is involved in quality assurance. And so there are particular, if you want to have a particular type of, of assurance of, of a certification, whether it's ISO 9001, all the different numbers they have, right? Uh, if you're in business, they set standards in those things. And, and what they do is they measure what your company does in line with those particular standards. So if you fall short, They'll say non-conformance there, non-conformance there. You've broken that particular rule. So they set the standard. And if you match all their standards, they'll give you the tick. So you've seen those, those, those cars and, and things with ticks on them? Well, that means that they've, they've actually matched the standard that was set for that particular thing. Okay. So it's the same thing when it comes to righteousness. It's God who sets the standards, and then we are measured against those standards. So Isaiah... 33.22 says, for the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our law giver. The Lord is our king. He will save us. So he is ultimately the king, the judge, the law giver. And he can judge us and he has that right because of who he is. So let's, that's righteousness, okay? So a person can be declared righteous because of their, their meeting God's standard. And it's God who declares a purchase righteous. Now remember, we are not declared righteous before God from the point of view of salvation because of what we do. Because according to the Bible, everything we do is like filthy rags before God. So God had to give us the righteousness of his son, what's called the imputed righteousness. Something I didn't earn, something I didn't deserve, something I still don't deserve. What ended up happening is Jesus lived the perfect life. He met all the ticks. When it came to the end of his life, he actually met every tick from the, from the beginning to the end. He did not fail once in his life. And so what happens to the believer is not only God takes away all my sin and puts him on the cross, but then he takes all his righteousness, all the ticks, and he says, there you go, there's the tick. You match. And in, in God's eyes, we are declared righteous because of what Jesus did. Okay. That's how God sees us now, believe it or not. And you might say, oh, but I don't feel. That's how God sees you. That's how God sees you, because of the imputed righteousness of Christ. So what is judgment then? So judgment, on the other hand, is a decision or an opinion. I'll give you three, three uh, definitions just from, the, from the, uh, the internet. A decision or opinion as of a court given after careful consideration. So it's an opinion or a decision given after careful consideration. It's an opinion or an estimate formed by examining and comparing um, to the best of one's judgment. Or it's the ability for reaching a decision after careful consideration, as in, I trust your judgment. 
Okay, so in every in every one of those, did you notice the, the common term? Careful consideration. Careful consideration against the standard, okay? Without realizing it, we make judgments every day of our lives. Our lives are filled with judgments. You might say, well, I don't judge. You do. You have to judge. In fact, our whole lives are filled from the morning we get up till the night we till at night we go to bed, and we probably do a few dreaming judgments as well. If we think about it. And we're taught to judge in our lives from a very early age for a variety of different things. Judgment is something we are trained for. And judgment always involves comparing two things, okay, or sometimes more than two things. And if what we're doing continually in our own minds is we're comparing, is this one better than this one? Is this one matching this one? Or is this one falling short of this one? We constantly do that with everything in our lives. Think of some of you walked in here with coffees today, right? Why did you go to that particular coffee place and get that coffee? Why do you keep on going back to the same place for your coffees? Because you've judged that that particular coffee sets the standard. It may not be set the standard in terms of, of taste only, but for you, the combination of taste Price, convenience, gives it the tick. You've, so you've created a standard in your mind and you've compared and you've said that's the best one. So you've made a judgment in that case. The judgment is always about comparing one thing and another, whether one thing is the same, better or less than. When a court makes a judgment, so when you go to court, and hopefully you won't, you won't need to go to court because court's not a very nice place to be, they're always making comparison between the actions of some, of an individual or a company or whatever else it may be, an entity, and the charges that have been laid against that person and then the law. So the law is the standard. There are charges that are made. They have to determine whether those charges are true or not. And then they compare how that thing lines up with the law. Then the judge makes a careful and considered um, a judgment or decision about whether the law was broken or whether it wasn't broken. So I've told you about coffees, but petrol's the same thing. Who goes to the same petrol station every every time they show up? Generally, right? You do, don't you? We're creatures of heaven, aren't we? So when you go to that petrol station, why do you go to that petrol station for? Or you may go to it's cheaper fuel, right? So you see. If cheaper fuel is your only option, you may be like some people and drive to the other side of town. But you won't, will you? But if, che if cheaper pe uh, pricing is your is your main option, then you might say, okay, I'm just going to look for the cheapest one around. What, what are you doing? You're making a comparison and then you're making a decision, a judgment as to which one is the best one for you to go to. Go to. In some cases, if your dials right down sometimes with me, I go right down to it and it says I've got five kilometres to go, right? I don't necessarily have all the choices to make, do I? Sometimes the first one that comes along might be the best one. But we, we do that with everything in our lives. The clothes we wear, the foods we eat, everything is about judgment. Why do you eat certain foods? Why do you go to the work that you go to? Why do you do what you do? Why do you come here this morning? Because you've chosen, you've made a comparison. And you've said to yourselves, God bless you, you've said it is better to be here than to be anywhere else on this particular this particular time. So you've made a judgment about coming to church and its importance. We, we judge all the time. So there's nothing wrong with judging. In fact, if you don't judge, you'll just be in bed the whole time and you won't do anything in your life. But we're not really focused on minor judgments here. What we're focused on are really um, uh, considering here are moral judgments. Okay, so this is the, the where the rubber hits the actual road. Because yes, I can I can make judgments about which is the best petrol or the best coffee or the clothes that I'm going to wear or the foods I'm going to eat or where I'm going to live and what car I drive and all those types of things. But neither here nor there most of the time except when they infringe over to the moral side of things. What we're talking about here is, though, moral choices, sin or righteousness. And so moral judgment is the process of comparing a moral situation 
measured against a moral standard. And then we say right or wrong, good or bad. Okay? We're always doing that against a standard. Every person in this world makes moral judgments every day too. Not just about the, the clothes and the petrol and the, and the coffee you drink, but they make judgments every day about right and wrong from a moral point of view. Many people in the world are judged, uh, sorry, are guided by a religious set of morals, okay? So the majority of people in this world, besides what the media want to tell you, are still religious, okay? They still have or believe in God or gods or some other type of thing, but they have a religion and that religion sets a standard for certain types of things. Every religion does that. And so many people in the world are unconsciously even guided by those standards in their life. And they'll say, it's wrong for me to kill someone else. No. The West... <laughs> no. <laughs> Sometimes. Um, but there are the people in the world, the majority of people in the West now, have cut themselves away from a religion or a faith, okay? And so what they have now is called moral relativism, okay? And moral relativism means that it's whatever's flowing around at the time. So that's why we're seeing such a change in our culture, because our culture, the US, Australia, Canada, England, much of Europe, New, uh, New Zealand, much of our Western world has cut itself away from the standard that it had for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, which was the Bible, the Word of God. Okay? <coughs> and that, that Bible, that God, set the standard, okay? And that flowed through, whether it was a religion, whether it was Christendom, whether it was whatever, the foundations were still those things, okay? So if God gave us the Ten Commandments, much of Christendom, much of the world, Western world, still followed those things. But now it's cut itself away from that, okay? And what we've seen is an acceleration away from the standards that the God of the Bible has actually set. And so we have this rush headlong in a direction that is opposite to what the Bible actually teaches in many, many areas, whether it's it's um, uh, homosexuality and, and homosexual marriage, um, all those types of things, and whether it's abortion, whether it's there's, there's a myriad of things that the, the Western world is, is pushing away from because it's detached itself from a standard, okay? But ultimately, and the Christian maintains that the standard of right and wrong and good and evil is fixed. And it's fixed, whether it's today, whether it was a thousand years ago, whether it was two thousand years ago or five thousand years ago, the Christian will say the standard's always the same. Why? Because the lawgiver is always the same. Because he doesn't change. He's a fixed point. And so everything is in relation to him. And so that's what the world doesn't have anymore. The world is floating around like, like you were floating around on a raft in the middle of the sea. Okay? And you didn't have any fixed point to look at. You only could work out where you were based on someone else's raft. Okay? And you'd say, oh, all right, we're, we're, we're 50 metres away from that raft over there. Whereas we say there is a north star and we are in comparison to that and that's fixed. That is the difference between um, the moral judgment based on God's standard and moral relativism of our, of our age. So ultimately, though, what's true is that the standard of moral judgment is God himself. He is the standard. Because he is unchanging, he is a fixed constant, and everything else revolves around him. He is ultimately where all the definitions of everything, whether right, wrong, true or false, whatever it is, all those things are defined in him. When a scientist uh, discovers a new law and they reveal that law, that law was already existent within him. He is the one who created the law, and that law exists because of him. So you can't have justice or righteous judgment outside of God himself, because he is the embodiment of law, justice, and righteousness. God is never forced 
to be just or righteous. No one has to twist his arm because that's who he is. That's exactly what he is. Just as gold doesn't change and its nature doesn't change, God does not change. He is always true to himself. So when we speak of someone being just or good or righteous, they are only those things in relation to God's standard. So when we go and share the gospel and, the, and you, know, you go to someone and you say, are you a good person? And 99.99999% of the time people will say, yes, of course I am. The reason they're telling you of course they are is because their level of righteousness is being compared to other people, not God. And that's called moral relativism. And so when a Christian says, hang on a minute, your righteousness doesn't even come close to God's righteousness and you are falling way short, they can't hack it because they then feel we're judging them, okay? even though the judgment is true. So God is the ultimate, ultimate standard for right and wrong, for everything moral, everything good, everything righteous. That's why when God takes an oath in the Bible, do you know God takes oaths? He makes an oath. He can, he's made oaths in the Bible. He doesn't appeal to any higher power than himself. He appeals to himself as the highest power that there is. Okay? So turn with me to Psalm 67 verse 3. And so this idea of righteous judgment we've seen are very closely linked to God and God setting the standard, and that's why God is both righteous and the one who judges properly. Psalm 67 verse 3 says, Let the people praise thee, O God. Let all the people praise thee. Or let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For thou shalt judge the people righteously and govern the nations upon earth. Selah. So God judges righteously, and that's what we want. So that the goal of this thing is to learn how to judge righteously. So God is our perfect and righteous judge. If we can, if we watch Him, we can learn from Him. The difference is, though, that God is the only, only perfectly righteous judge. Not me, and not you. He is the only one. So we can't put ourselves in his place because he is the judge. He knows all things. Remember I said to you, a judgment takes careful consideration, right? We can't have, in most cases, all the details we need to make a proper judgment. And we're going to look at that right now. None of us can look at this thing from God's vantage point. In fact, we come to a warning as we look at verse 1 now of Matthew chapter 7 by Jesus about judging other people. Because only God is a perfect judge. And the real question is, in what capacity are we meant to be judging, okay, or be over others? Or more to the point, how good are we at morally judging situations without messing things up? Because if we mess things up, if we judge wrongly, there is a warning here that we need to take very, very consider important consideration of. We are in danger of being judged if we don't judge correctly. So if something is a threat to you by you partaking in that thing, you need to consider very carefully whether it's worth for you to do that thing. Does that make sense? So Jesus tells us in Matthew 7, 1, judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. Pure and simple, the warning is given here to stop people making judgments if there's a chance that they're going to be wrong. If there's a chance that you don't know all the information, if there's a chance that you may be mistaken, the warning here is you better not judge. And you better not judge harshly because the way you judge, you're going to get back upon you. If you meet our judgment to someone else in a particular way, you're going to be judged by the judge, the proper judge, for doing that very thing. 
The moral judgment of others is a serious matter to God. It's very serious. And when we judge others, he watches what we do. He watches our heart. He watches and knows our intent. He knows why we're judging in the first place. He also knows the consideration we've taken for those judgments. And on top of that, the angels are watching what we're doing as well because they're learning not only from our uh, triumphs and from our successes, they're actually learning from our failures too. Judging others on moral issues should be done with absolute care and certainty. Otherwise, we are inviting the judgment of God upon ourselves. No, I'd rather not try that. This is the way we should always approach the judgment of others, whether they are in the church or even when, when we are judging people outside of the church. The Apostle Paul tells us it's God who judges them outside the church. It's not our job to be judging people outside the church. And most of the time, we are, we are warned about judging others because we have insufficient information or information that is not correct. Only God has all the information. Only God knows the heart. The problem is with us is that we judge and we have emotions mixed up in it. We have self-interest mixed up in it. We have uh, ego and pride mixed up in it. And we have a lack of information most of the time. So let me remind you here, before an earthly judge makes a verdict in a trial that will affect the life of the accused, possibly for the rest of that person's life, that will affect his family and all the people around him, and that affect the lives, it will affect the lives of victim, of the actual victim as well, he or she must consider very carefully the evidence before then. Their decision will change the life dramatically of someone. Okay? They don't hear just one side of the argument and say, oh, see, that you must be right. Guilty. No, they have to hear that side of the argument, then they're going to hear that side of the argument, then they're going to go back to that side of the argument and get an explanation of, to, from that side of the argument. They're going to hear both sides very, very carefully. They're going to examine the evidence. They're going to weigh that evidence up. And then they're going to deliberate on those points that they're not 100% clear about and get more information about those before they make a particular, a particular decision. They take their job very seriously because it affects the lives of people around them. And a wrong judgment may destroy someone's life who was innocent or may set someone free who was guilty. So it's important they make the right decision. And it's not uncommon for a judge to take hours, days, weeks, and even months to make a final decision about something. So if it's true, if this is true concerning earthly matters and earthly crimes of people that people commit one against another, how about us? How important are our judgments when it comes to God's things? When it comes to God's laws being broken? When it comes to things that believers do against other believers? How important are our judgments? I tell you, they're very important. Very important. God considers the judgments we make as very, very important because they affect other people's lives in ways that we can't even understand. And sometimes we are quick to make a judgment about someone because so-and-so told us something about him or her and we write them off. And so for the rest of their days and for the rest of our days, we may dismiss that person. And so we have changed the course, the very course of their life. <coughs> if it's true that judges on the earth are very deliberate and careful in their decisions, it should be the same for us. Is it right for a believer to judge another person before taking the time to consider all the sides and weigh up all the information before condemning someone as guilty? Of course it's important. It's very important. And it's not right if we don't do the same thing. It actually makes a mockery of God's laws and becomes what's called unrighteous judgment. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 18, verse 13. Proverbs 18, verse 13. <clears throat> so this point I want you to understand very carefully, and, very, and this is very important. 
And Proverbs 18.13 says, He that answereth the matter, so he that comes up with a decision and a judgment about something, before he heareth it, it is folly and a shame unto him. Okay? So, that's, that's essentially what it's saying, is that if before you hear all the evidence, you make up your mind about something, the Bible says that it's a folly and a shame to you. It's folly. And it's shameful. And that's the same thing that Matthew 7 is really all about. It's a shame to make unrighteous judgment. So better not if you can't do it properly. We should never judge quickly. That's the point here. Do not judge a matter quickly. Better to reserve your judgment than to judge quickly. If you make up your mind about something or someone that affects them in some way, or the way you're going to treat that person, or the way you're going to talk to other people about that person, then be very, very careful. You do not come to a quick judgment. We should never render judgment on others without hearing the evidence, without understanding that at least two or three weaknesses are required. Because repeating something that someone else said without understanding it and passing judgment on someone else because of gossip or slander makes us slanderers and gossipers as well. And God hates both of those things because they destroy people's lives. We should never render judgment about someone else unless that person is also able to speak for themselves about the allegations. Because we wouldn't want to be doing something to someone else that we wouldn't want to have done to us, would we? Can you imagine if someone started spreading a false or malicious rumour about you to someone else? How would you want other people to, to hear that? And what would, what would you like them to do with that? To automatically judge you on that gossip or that slander without you having a chance to actually explain yourself and what the circumstances were? Of course we would. And so the Bible tells us that we should treat other people the same way we would want to be treated. So always think very carefully about what you do with information that you hear. Because we would not want to be treated that way. And I don't care who the person is, to be honest with you. I don't care if they're a Christian, an unsaved, a leader, whatever else it is. Make sure the information you are distributing around is actually correct. Turn me to Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15. Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15. The priests had a very important job in God's economy. When he set up Israel and he set up the priesthood and he gave the Levitical laws uh, to Moses and the priests were set up, they weren't there just sacrificing. You might ask yourself, what were they doing for all that time? Why did it take a, a, one whole tribe to do this sort of work? And the answer is, is because they had to pass judgment. You see, they had been given the Levitical laws as a way to judge matters. Okay? Let's have a look at this, just, just, just as an example. Deuteronomy 19.15. Deuteronomy 19.15. Have a look at what they had to do to make sure that they were passing right judgment. It says, one witness shall not rise up against a man for any iniquity, or for any sin, in any sin that he sinneth. At the mouth of two witnesses, or at the mouth of three witnesses, shall the matter be established. If a false witness rise up against any man to testify against him that which is wrong, then both the men between whom the controversy is shall stand before the Lord, before the priests and the judges, which shall be in those days. And the judges shall make diligent inquisition. And behold, if the witness be a false witness and hath testified falsely against his brother, then shall you do unto him as he had thought to have done unto his brother. So shalt thou put the evil away from among you. Did you get that? If someone wants to accuse someone else to get them in trouble because they hate them, the answer here is, well, if there's no witnesses to come, the priest has to, or the judge has to be looking at all, weighing up all the evidence because they can't just take the testimony of a person against someone else. 
You can't just condemn someone for that. So they're going to weigh up all the evidence. They're going to diligently inquire about all the circumstances or whatever. So they were acting as judges. But if they find that the person raised a false accusation, what the other person would have actually received in terms of punishment, they receive. Mm. Did you get that? I reckon there'd be a whole lot of less, not false, uh, there'd be a whole lot of uh, false accusations that would be gone in our culture if they were going to receive the condemnation that the other person would have got. Because you'd be very careful about raising something if there was a chance that you were going to be caught out doing it. But that's why you need multiple witnesses. And God takes this thing very, very uh, seriously. And the priest had to inquire diligently. It didn't. It wasn't something they did on the spot. They would take time for that. They 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 take all the information they could from that before they ever, if they did, make a particular assessment. The point being that the evidence, the witness testimonies, and the careful consideration were all very important because the priest had to render a just judgment. They were representing God in this whole thing. Now, what does the Bible say that every believer in this world is? A priest. Did you know that you're a priest, according to the word of God? We have a very important job to do. We are to what the priest was doing. He had to stand it in God's word. If someone made an accusation against someone else, he would have to line that accusation up with, was a law being broken in God's word, God's standard? And then he would have to determine whether it indeed was broken. And you have to do that very carefully because rendering judgment on that person affected their entire lives. And so the Bible calls us priests. You know why? Because God has put down his standard within our hearts. His Holy Spirit lives within us. And we are his representatives on the earth. So when we make judgment, we best understand that we are judging on his behalf. If we judge unrighteously, then we tarnish his reputation. Okay, so look at 2 Corinthians 13 verse 1 with me, because this is not just something that happened in the Old Testament, but also something that was carried into the New. 2 Corinthians verse, chapter 13 verse 1. The Apostle Paul, what he tells the Corinthians, he says, This is the third time I am coming to you. In the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. Where's he quoting that from? He's getting that from the Old Testament. So he's still brought into the New Testament. And go back to Matthew 18, verse 15. Matthew 18, verse 15 and 16, because where one brother trespasses against another, this is also the standard that's required to bring something before the entire church. So in verse 15 it says, Moreover, so you've gone to your brother, so your brother sinned against you. Let's say your brother's stolen something from you. And you go to your brother and say, Brother, why did you steal that thing from me? That wasn't right. It says, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. And if he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. Verse 16 says, But if he will not hear thee, then take thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. Now, that doesn't mean bringing two or three of your mates along to help you hammer this other person. It's two or three witnesses that, that evidence the same thing, that saw the same thing. Okay, so there's a very important system that's being created here. We need to be careful that we don't do injustice if we judge someone else on the basis of gossip. Because gossip and Facebook um, uh, articles or YouTube videos are not witnesses. 
there's someone's opinion. You don't know whether that person, where they got that information from, how much has been manipulated, and how many people that same thing has passed through all saying the same thing. So be very careful as we listen to all these things. Weigh up all the evidence very, very carefully. And if you're not sure, don't judge. Let it go. Go and do something else. Go and mow the lawn. Empty the bins. You know, polish the car up. Do something constructive. Okay? If we don't know whether the witness or the person that's making the accusation is true, then it's better to, to leave judgment on the side. James warns us also, don't judge at all. Don't judge. Because when we do, we actually judge the law itself. Turn to James chapter 4, verse 11 with me. James chapter 4, verse 11. We'll look at two verses there. James 4.11. <coughs> So it says there, speak not evil one of another, brethren. So that's talking about people within the church, okay? Don't speak evil about other, other believers. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judgeth his brother, speaketh evil of the law and judgeth the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who art thou that judgest another? So he's saying, well, we're not called to be judges of each other. What we are called to do is to be law followers, to be the ones who encourage the law, to follow the law. He says, don't speak evil of your brother. If you speak evil of a brother, it means you've passed judgment already, correct? Because you're not going to be speaking evil of someone if you haven't passed judgment. So speaking evil of someone else means you have made up your mind and you've passed judgment on that person and James says don't do it and that includes gossip about accusations which you don't or haven't been able to properly verify slander which destroys someone's reputation exaggerating someone's faults because we all have them so repeating someone's faults to someone else and say oh, look at that person they're always doing this when you have the same type of problem becomes an issue exaggerating other people's faults to make them look worse is judgment, is unrighteous judgment. Spreading the knowledge of someone's faults to others when other people didn't know it is unrighteous judgment. So that it causes them to look down upon that person. In doing this, it says that we become lawbreakers ourselves and we tempt others to be lifted up in their pride against that person. On top of this, James says, you might find a strange, a strange way to say it, but we judge the actual law. You know why? Because the law actually condemns gossiping, slandering, unrighteous judgment. It actually condemns those things. So that's part of the law. So when we do it, and we're the judge, we're actually saying, that law's not good enough. I don't have to follow that law. I'll take the parts of the law that I like to take. That doesn't apply to me. It applies to other people. So you're actually judging the law itself as not being sufficient for you. And this is the other reason why Jesus warns us about passing judgment. Go back to Matthew 7, verse 3 to 5, and we'll finish up now. Because judging the law, when you judge the law of God, that is ultimately hypocrisy. It's hypocrisy. Okay, because you can't say, I believe in the law and I, and I love the law, at the same time you judge the law as being insufficient for you. And judge other people with it. That's why Jesus warned about hypocrisy here. Verse Matthew 7 3 says, And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye? But considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye. Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, thine eye and behold, a beam is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye. Then shalt thou see clearly, uh, see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. Uh, can I ask a question of you? Is there anyone here without fault? No. None of us here without fault. 
Anyone here without a weakness? No. Anyone here sinless? No. Well, so you failed all three. What is wrong with you people? <laughs> <laughs> the truth of the matter is that if someone's weak in one area and I judge them on that area and I say, look at that person the way they are, and I forget that I'm weak in this area, that makes me a hypocrite. I don't have to be judging someone about something that's exactly the same as me to be a hypocrite. Because where you, where you break one law according to the word of God, you've broken the whole thing. So where we struggle in our, in our uh, obedience to the law and we're trying our best, we can't point out other people's weakness and say, look at that person. How dare they do this or that? And then we pass judgment upon them. That makes us ultimately a hypocrite. And we need to be very careful about it. And Jesus says, how can on earth can you be seeing the faults in someone else's life when you've got a beam stuck in your eye? Not just a little speck. You're saying, hey, brother, look at the speck you got there. That's bad. Let me judge you on this. And Jesus says, hang on a sec. How can you do that when you, you can't see at all? When a person judges someone else, and is engaged in law-breaking as well, they become a hypocrite, the Bible says. A hypocrite is someone who clearly sees the faults of others but don't see their own faults and are blind to them. And so sitting as judge makes a mockery of the law of God and God's righteous judgment, and it's best not to make judgment. So would you not trust the judgment? Would you trust the judgment from an unrighteous judge? Let's say you, you were going to court, and you knew the judge was corrupt and he could be paid off. And the fellow had a, a, had a reputation of, of being corrupt. Okay? Would you feel confident going to that judge? Or what about if that, that, that judge was doing the same thing? The judge was known to be, for example, a murderer or something. And he was judging on murder. Would you be confident that that judge is... Uh, no, you wouldn't. Could you say that judge is hypocritical? I wouldn't expect him to do that. So we need to be careful that we don't engage in the same thing because look at verse 6 is our last one. Give not that which is holy unto the dogs. Neither cast your pearl before swine, lest they trample them under foot, under their feet, and turn again and rend you. Now what's this got to do with judgment here? It's because you wouldn't go to a judge who's, who's ungodly. You wouldn't give him the responsibility to be a judge if he was a lawbreaker already. Does that make sense? You can't be a policeman in this thing if you've got a criminal record. Is that right? Why? Because if you've got a tendency to do that thing and they're known for that thing already, you can't trust that person in that thing. So you're not going to give the responsibility of, of a, to a judge to be a judge when they're a lawbreaker themselves, when they've got a criminal record as well. And Jesus says, don't take that which is holy, the law of God, which is the determiner that all men on the face of the earth are actually well short of him and use it in an unlawful way. Don't take that which is holy, give it to people. And do you remember this, this guy's called the Pharisees, the Sadducees and the scribes? Have a think of what they were doing. They were taking the law, condemning everyone else, making it harder for them. And while they were doing the same things, remember the yeast, the yeast of the Pharisee that Jesus warned his disciples about? It was hypocrisy. Because they judged everyone else, but they did worse than that. So don't give those things which are precious, which are holy, and give them to dogs. So Jesus is saying, don't join their ranks. Don't do that. Don't allow that which is holy to be used in a corrupted fashion. Take that which is good and use it wisely. And so to close, judgment is a serious matter to God. God is the only and perfect righteous judge. He is a standard for both. Judging others, we have to be careful that we don't invite judgment upon ourselves if we don't do it correctly. And we'll be looking at this in the coming weeks on how to. So this is only the beginning. This is only an introduction. We are The goal here is for us to look at and say, how do I judge righteously? What does the word of God say about that? Okay. We have to take very, very, first of all, great care and caution when we do judge. We are always called to weigh up the evidence carefully. 
Don't judge rashly or harshly or quickly. If judging someone else doesn't involve you directly, if it doesn't have nothing to do with you, let it go. If someone comes to you and says, oh, brother so-and-so did, I heard brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so did this, you know what? Better not to know. Because you'll be forced in a situation where you have to judge. Better not to know. If it doesn't involve you directly, you don't need to know. It's not helpful to know. In fact, it causes more, more pain and problem for you. Always seek to help people with their infirmities. Don't seek to judge them because we all have infirmities and weaknesses. And if God is the perfect judge, then leave the judgment to him. If someone's something wrong to you, let him, because he's a perfect judge. And because he judges perfectly, we are here this morning celebrating the judgment that he made. Because he judged, he was willing to judge his only son for all of our crimes. Remember that when you next seek to judge, that we have been cleansed and the price that was paid came at the cost of his own son. God bless you. Thank you.